TalkCatholicTheWebsite.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne. And uh, what happened to me this week? Well, <laughs> I love giving personal anecdotals, by the way, because they always highlight the teachings of our church or the lies against the commandments. My car had a flat tire. Well, it was leaking flat. It was ever so gradually going down. And I'm not good about these kind of things. So I was pretty much quick to rush to get it up to the car dealership where I had bought the car. And a very good friend of mine, perhaps my very best friend, had called me up early in the morning to tell me that, hey, if you don't fill up that tire quickly, you're not even going to get to the dealership. And lo and behold, he was right on the button. When I went out to the car that morning, it was very flat. And I thankfully have a little air pump that allowed me to get just enough into it to get up to that dealership. This gentleman friend is not Catholic. He's Eastern Orthodox. We're not on the same page on all the issues by no means. And yet I know he's my best friend because he does many things like that as a matter of habit out of his human heart. This is exactly what Professor Sri, in our book review, which we will get to in the second part of the show, is trying to highlight that the building of these bridges of friendship, which highlight a person's virtuous character, are so much what our faith is all about. So keep that in mind. But here's the kicker regarding the flat tire, the immorality of it all. I find out that the tires on the car, and I this is the first new car that I have ever bought after 60 plus years. And I only find out now that because of the craziness of the pandemic life shutdown, this particular car dealer was trying to rush to get the cars out, what few they had. And so they put shoddy tires on their brand new cars that would only possibly go 10,000 miles before they were going to have issues. But they didn't tell the customer any of this. Oh, this is, this is just ducky. <laughs> this is the new America that we are living in right now. But remember, most of these car dealerships are not American. So that's just another good reason to be patriotic and try to bring it all home in accord with the Catholic teaching on subsidiarity. Let's do things close to home first, and I think we'll get things a little better than we have them now at the mercy of other countries that hate us, and yet they've got the products. In any event, I wanted to continue on with an analysis. Did you know that a synod just came to its close on October 29th, and I hope that we're still able to do this show uh, as opposed to any lightning bolts that might have hit the Vatican for the second time? They won't necessarily come down just yet because my gut hunch is that there won't be any 
major press conference with new changes in doctrine and dogma, as Raymond Arroyo from EW10 would say, they just change the practice. And then all of a sudden, the doctrine changes implicitly even though it didn't. So this is more likely what things will probably be quiet. There will be no major announcements likely coming out of this. And it only continues on into next year, by the way. In fact, it may never stop. This is the way the church is now, supposedly. And in fact, it's not the way the church is. And that's why I do feel an obligation, ladies and gentlemen, to give a little background tutelage on what this whole concept of synodality is. And I want to read from a good article from the Fatima Crusader, the title of the magazine, issue number 131 for the fall of 2023, is Exposed, the Errors of the 2023 Synod. And I just want to quickly read, this is by Father Albert Calio. He's a Dominican priest and a most faithful traditional one at that. He says, historically speaking, synodality is a consequence of this new doctrine of collegiality, which appeared at the Council, Vatican II. The first synod of bishops was convened by Pope Paul VI in 1967, just two years after the conclusion of the Council. The Pope had codified this new ecclesial institution via a motto proprio in September 1965, even before the Council ended. Later, John Paul II incorporated it into the new Code of Canon Law in 1983. It is true that in this new law itself, the Synod of Bishops was not, strictly speaking, presented as an organ of collegiality because it had only a consultative and advisory function and was to be convened only by the order of the Pope himself whenever he would choose to do so. However, in practice, general synods have been convened at least every three years and especially under Pope Francis, they have taken on the appearance of a necessary part of the functioning of the church. This is a classic tactic familiar to all students of revolution. A benignly phrased law itself simply opens a door without seeming to impose a radical change, but the radical change inevitably follows. Also, in typically revolutionary fashion, this apparent sharing of responsibility and reality becomes a very efficacious means of concentrating the real power in the hands of those who manipulate the structure. In previous synods, Pope Francis has shown how this works, and we can expect the same in the ones that will follow. In fact, this seeming sharing of power with everyone is a way of taking away from the bishops the power that they should have and always have had in the governing of the church. This already began happening immediately after the council with regard to the bishop's power in his own diocese, which was undermined on the one hand by the Episcopal conferences, inevitably controlled by liberal influences, and on the other hand, the democratic bodies set up in the diocese to help a bishop govern it. Now, even the power that bishops really do have over the whole church, when the Pope shares it with them in a council, is being usurped by synods, which will no longer be composed only of bishops, but by a large contingent of laymen, or rather lay persons, both men and women, in, of course, equal proportions, chosen by the Pope. It is only justice, in a way, in punishment for their usurpation of power over the whole church of Vatican II, the real power of bishops is now taken away, according to the adage, the revolution always eats her children. <laughs> Another familiar phrase, a small error in the beginning becomes a large error in the end. This is, in fact, just common sense. If your compass is just one degree off, you will fall further off course the further you go. The error of collegiality at Vatican II could seem like a small error, but we see now in its consequences that it was not small at all. One cannot tamper with the constitution that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to his church 
without grave consequences. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get this right down to brass tax reality. In my own experience, through the years in working in many different parishes, especially as I embarked upon adult education at the parish level, I had a program called the Catholic Kitchen Table, and it was in several parishes in different dioceses simultaneously. And I got a pretty good bird's eye view of the workings of the deep church, indeed. Uh, that's exactly what it was, because here's here's the deal. Here's what's really going on, and this is based on way too much experience. You have all of what Father just mentioned as the trend in the church over many decades towards this concept called collegiality, whereby lay people, and these are not ordinary Joe and Josephine lay people. These are big-time academics from high-end Jesuit colleges, institutes, seminaries, etc., universities, uh, with their MEDs in pastoral theology and MED, like myself, in religious ed. I have to remind everybody, as I uh, typically do, that most of these universities were not on board with magisterial teaching going back to the 1970s. So the likelihood that they were going to be unbelievably obedient and reverent uh, to church authority uh, I don't think so. And so all of a sudden at your local parish, the parish council started taking on tremendous power. And yet canon law would only give that authority to the pastor still under his bishop, still, that he is basically in charge of the pastoral council. But you, that's not how it functioned at the practical level. You would have the DRE, Director of Religious Ed, who often was one of these radicals from places like I went to, B.C., back in the 70s, and he or she would dictate the agenda of who's going to get the jobs in the parish or the catechetical positions, what textbooks are we using this year, and often the parish council would consist of the friends of that DRE. I think you can see what's going on. There's an acquired political power that takes place, subversive to the pastor. And they, uh, and these new power brokers are pretty proud of themselves. And they think, in fact, that, you know, the pastor is now going to be subservient to their wishes because they outnumber him. This is the direct practical ramification of this concept at Vatican II, promoted like nothing else, called collegiality. It's collegiality gone astray. And it highlights the very sad result of a shortage of vocations through the years. Because if we had two and three and four priests in a rectory, then indeed they wouldn't have this kind of power. And they wouldn't be locked solid in their positions over decades while the priests were coming and going. They stayed still. They stayed in the parish over a long period of time. And you know human nature and what that means politically. For power, they get their way. So this is so much the danger of what happens when everybody has a say into what the church is and how she should function. And now, relative to the synod and synodality, they're going to have a say on what the church teaches. Like this is this is way beyond the pale of properly Catholic, and it's called apostasy, 
if they indeed try to carry it out. Again, the Pope cannot say anything in his authority ex cathedra, just simply from the chair of Peter, or working in harmony with the bishops worldwide as magisterial that is not in continuity with the 2023-year tradition of the Catholic Church. Now, off-the-cuff personal opinion, publicly insinuating or suggesting that it's now the new church teaching a la capital punishment. Not possible, ladies and gentlemen. He has to be in continuity with the church's age-old, long-standing tradition. I was just watching an internet video with Joe McLean and Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who gave an excellent tutorial on what happens with a heretic pope. And in fact, just for you to know, it's not Cardinal Robert Bellarmine, doctor of the church, post-Reformation, put forth an opinion that if the Pope is a heretic, then he has already excommunicated himself. That was not magisterial teaching. That was his opinion. And I believe it was Pope Paul IV put forth a papal bull, which has some clout, but it was the only statement by a Pope in her history that would maintain that heresy would get the Pope out of there. That was not magisterial teaching. What takes on the power and indelible mark, if you like to call it, of church teaching age-old all through the centuries is the simple fact that there's a continuity of apostolic succession in handing that teaching down. So there's no one pope that all of a sudden can do something. Or say something. And that's what we're witnessing before our very eyes. So it's a pretty scary time. There's no question about it. And this calls upon the College of Cardinals to get together and reassess and take a look at the 2013 papal election and make sure that everything was all in place or wasn't it. And if it wasn't, then yes, this is their authority to take care of matters. So as much as we lay people can have all of our opinions about a whole host of issues like women priesthood and blessings of homosexual unions or gay marriage, etc., the divorced and remarried receiving communion, contraception on demand, it goes on, doesn't it? It's always been part of the revolutionary litany of things they want who are indeed dissenters. And I want to remind Every one of that book I came across, Call to Action or Call to Apostasy, how dissenters are trying to remake the Catholic Church in their own image. You and I are not apostolic successors by way of ordination, and that's where the power is. And that's exactly why they want it. It's just too Roman. As a priest at BC in my undergraduate years said to me as I showed him a most faithful book, too Roman, too hierarchical, almost a monarchy, too traditional, too unchanging, too true, too easy. You want complication in the intellectual life? Then I guess you go another road outside the church. But no, God didn't set it up that way. He chose fishermen. Thank the Lord. So that's what's Catholic. Pope and bishops making the decisions with the priests carrying it out as their ambassador. And we lay people receiving and obeying, questioning fine. We want to know what it is that we believe, no doubt, but we're not part of that decision-making process. So quickly from this book, Call to Action or Call to Apostasy, one of the articles reads, All Catholics have the right to a voice in all decisions that affect them, including the choosing of their leaders. And the response is, A priest does not offer the sacrifice of the Mass or confer any other sacrament by the consent of the people, but by the authority of Christ. 
To change this means that the sacraments are not of Christ, therefore they lose all their power to sanctify. And I would add, the priest thereby loses his power to teach and govern. The sacraments become mere rituals, where lay people speak the words of consecration. The dissenters know very well that if women are ordained under their system, they would all be extremely liberal since Orthodox Catholic women would automatically exclude themselves from the process. The result would be a flood of untrained priestesses who would enthusiastically promote abortion and homosexuality and who would relentlessly condemn the remnants of the patriarchal church from the pulpit. This is the experience being suffered by the Episcopal Church, and thinking Catholics should note the sad consequences suffered by other churches that have ordained women. And let there be no doubt that this is what this synod has been truly all about, behind the scenes, behind the closed doors. We shall keep opening the doors to Christ through Mary, This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We'll get back to our book review, Who Am I to Judge? Let us honor our faithful departed during the month of November with this most beautiful solemn song by, yes, the singing nuns in their collection, God of Loveliness, O Sanctissima. So again, in Who Am I to Judge, Professor Edward Sri is trying to help us to make a shift theologically from thinking only about exterior acts in the social world, i.e. social justice, as that which only constitutes morality. Way more important is, as C.S. Lewis has noted, the morality inside the individual, virtue or the lack thereof. And so now in this particular excerpt from the chapter Friendship and Virtue, Professor Edward Sri says, how do we grow in virtue? Well, simply knowing about the virtues is half the battle. If I gain an understanding of the virtuous life, I at least have a chance to work on the areas where I'm falling short 
and to grow in the virtues I need the most. Now, we can learn about the virtues in the Bible, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and other good Catholic resources. Reading the lives of the saints is particularly beneficial. The saints help us to see the virtues in action, embodied in a life story, and they give us concrete examples of how to put virtue into practice. Filling our minds with the lives of the saints can inspire us to live more virtuously as they did. I'm reminded of Mother Angelica, who always was pounding away. Get to know the saints. Know the lives of the saints. These were the heroes of every culture of death. Remember, there's an antichrist in virtually every era. It's called the culture, the world. And there are those who stand up to it, and they are called saints, the heroes amongst us in the spiritual life. Professor Sree says, second, practice makes perfect. Growing in virtue doesn't happen by chance. It's not as if someone can wake up one morning, I'm going to be more virtuous today, and expect to become a saint overnight. It takes great intentionality and effort over the course of a lifetime. One common recommendation for growing in virtue is to prayerfully identify an area for growth and then make a resolution each day to fight against that one weakness, to resist temptation, and most of all, to put into practice the particular virtue that counters the vice you're struggling with. So if you notice you tend to talk a lot and like to be the center of attention, make a resolution to make space for others in conversation and take time to listen. If you struggle with being easily discouraged, make a resolution to say a short prayer of entrustment. Jesus, I trust in you. The next time you find yourself disheartened. And if you find yourself distracted at Mass, make a resolution to read along the prayers of the liturgy so your mind stays more focused. Thirdly, ask for God's grace. No matter how much you study the virtues, no matter how much you try to put them into practice, you will run up against your own human limitations. We are fallen. We simply need help. But with God's grace, we have Christ's divine life in us. Grace enables us to live the virtues and imitate Christ more than we could on our own, for it is Christ's love working through us. That's why we seek God's grace in prayer and the sacraments, especially by frequenting the Eucharist and confession. So I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty, Blessed Jersey Papilasco, you do know those two names. <laughs> Every single Catholic should know those two names right there. Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty was extraordinary in how he helped so many escape the Nazis and brought them inside the Vatican to give them safe harbor. See the movie, The Scarlet and the Black. I believe he was accredited over 6,000 lives, could truly look to Monsignor's assistance in helping them to escape. And Blessed Jersey was an activist priest during the time of St. John Paul II in Poland as he went up against the communists and was making many statements against them, okay? The robbing of man's dignity and freedom. Yes, communism always stands for that. And he was beaten and killed by the communists and kind of just goes a little bit unsung in the history books because he's not declared a saint, at least not just yet. He's blessed. But the point being, these are two very strong men. Let's not forget St. Maximilian Colby. You don't become men like this overnight. And if there's anything that is characteristic of our culture, it's the effeminacy of men. We're not living in a time of Dick Buckus, who just died recently, the middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears, who kind of epitomized the strength of a man. How dare he, according to the public school agenda, huh? The wokesters. 
you kidding me? You know, this is what it means to be a man, to lead, to protect, to be strong against evil, contrary to everything that they're telling you in the mass media right now. But you don't turn the dial and go from being a wimp to a strong man. It's going to take some acts of heroism little by little, as one priest I know uses the expression, bit by bit, bit by bit, indeed. And ever so gradually, you rise to the occasion. In addition to saying a prayer, I very deliberately say a prayer because of this show, uh, that I grow in strength and be fearless, not to be afraid of the vultures, because they're out there. I'm aware, okay? But I have an obligation to Jesus to speak the truth of the Catholic faith as he so desires. So that's it. That's my commission, and I have to be as fearless about it as I possibly can be, and I need his grace to be so. So, indeed, you can't you can't turn the dial. Our leaders in the church, they haven't been given a sermon that rattles the conscience for how many decades? All of a sudden, we're up against all kinds of evils. Don't expect St. John the Baptist overnight. We're expecting them to just turn the dial, but they can start bit by bit. And all you married men out there, and women, the virtuous life means letting the men be men and the women be women. I just said a prayer to my mom and dad since departed, and I kept it real basic. I said, you know, it's as simple as the men just have to lead by way of teaching and protecting, and the women have to lead by way of nurturing and consoling. It is the way we were programmed according to God's laws, divine and natural. And once we just get around to being the way God wants us to be, a virtuous man of God and a virtuous woman of God, everything's going to change for the better. Why do we make it so complicated? And I would finally add that as a PGA professional, I used to work with an organization called The First Tee, and they try to teach the game to kids but they do something very different. They use virtue education to get the points across. So they'll go through, let's say, the rules of golf and show how honesty is expected. <laughs> it's a wonderful way, in a practical way, to see the virtues played out with something you enjoy doing. So I suggest to all young people especially, think of endeavors that you enjoy doing and do a little board game with your peers about how you can do that even better if you take the virtues into account. It's been said the Ten Commandments were not suggestions and neither were the virtues. This is WQPH Radio, 89.3 FM. And yes, it's okay for that early Christmas donation while you have more than a few pennies in that pocket. Have a wonderful week, everyone. God bless. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio, 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please. My number is 877-625-3727, Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.